Nathaniel Ager is my name, and England is my nation. Seaburg is my dwelling place, and Christ is my salvation. When I am dead and in my grave, and all my bones are rotten, I hope the Lord will think on me when I am quite forgotten. This poem was dated 1754, and there were many, many more entries of Ager's, Nathaniel, Frederick, William, and so on, ending with William. You see, he said, anybody would call it the greatest bit of luck. I did, but I don't now. Of course, I asked the shopman about William Major, and of course he happened to remember that he lodged in the cottage of the North Field and died there. This was just chalking the road for me. That's from uh, Mr. James' is, uh, A Warning to the Curious, and I thought it'd be a good way to start off, because uh, the, the phrase chalking the road is probably the best way, place to start if I'm going to do a podcast, if I'm going to talk to you about my uh, artistic journey and the parallels between hopefully my artistic journey and yours and what you can learn from them so uh thanks for joining us uh it's obligatory that i have to mention mr james in pretty much every podcast <laughs> uh welcome to mouth of the far side the um i would say the next generation is the, the reincarnation of a podcast i used to do that nobody heard so everything's sitting here ready to go um no time like the present and yeah a perfect example of strange we sort of synchronicities as I call them. A synchronicity is a term you'll hear it and it kind of just means like a coincidence but like a meaning, meaningful coincidence. Something a bit more than just uh, just oh that's interesting. Just sometimes something that'll maybe draw your attention or uh, draw you a certain direction and um, make you think a certain way. Maybe look, make you look at things a different way. Um, and in reference to the M.R. James quote, uh, this guy is on this quest to find a, a buried crown, a bit of treasure. And things just happen to fall into place that he just kind of happens to end up where he wants to go. And it brings it brings to mind like, lots of questions of like intent and manifestation, which you can sort of go, you can talk you know, metaphysical and uh, ghosts and magic about it, which uh, as much as I'm interested, I'm not an expert, but we'll cover stuff like that. But um, it's also about... Um, I think one of the biggest things that really, really helped me was someone who was actually influenced by M.R. James was when he described uh, art as being magic. Uh, Alan Moore, he basically said, uh, it's like pulling a rabbit out of a hat. You have a hat with nothing in it, then you have a rabbit. So um, art and magic and the metaphysical and the occult and the weird and the creative, to me, is just a, a lovely big mix that we can uh, get into and just listen to and learn from and observe. Um, yeah, I think my approach to things, if, you've, if you know me, if you've spoken to me, I'm quite... Uh, you know, I take a lot of influence from a lot of different places and I'm very enthusiastic about the stuff that I like, but... You know that feeling whenever you you see something and you go, that was meant for me. Um, there was somebody made a really good quote the other day. There was a quite a funny, I was watching a YouTube video. And it was, you know, like where a YouTuber gets a guest of another YouTuber. And someone described it as, um, this is so perfect that it's making me think I'm definitely the main character in my story. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like in the sense that some things happen so in such a way, so the chalk the road that, that appear for you that point you in a certain direction that you can't help but laugh at the sheer kind of like coincidence that it's, it's more than coincidence and this is what we're talking about synchronicity so uh i think synchronicity if you, if you talk to me any amount of time you'll hear the term synchronicity uh being dropped it's one of those phrases i just love and um well for example so you think of mr james um uh, Mr. James is mentioned in a book that changed my life. Um, now this is the point where people, whenever you say a book changed my life, people wince, don't they? They go, "Ah, oh, God, what's he going to say? He's going to hit me with it." Or someone who's really on, like on a paling self help books with a really unattractive title, or um, maybe some, maybe the Bible. Some people hit you with that, um, or maybe some sort of, you know, it's usually like self helpy. You know, maybe sometimes a bit airy furry, and more often than not, what works for you won't work for people in such a way that they'll just be like, nope. The book that changed my life, I would say, is uh, a book called Jerusalem by Alan Moore. Again, you speak to me any amount of time, I'm probably going to mention Alan Moore and how important he is to me. Um, I was always kind of interested in comics and knew of the Watchmen and the, the V for Vendetta and From Hell. I love the From Hell movie, which is terrible when you know how much Moore hates his stuff uh, being made into movies. But... Um, I was never a huge comic book fan, but whenever I found out that Alan Moore had written this epic book that was like, it's like three books, I can't remember how many pages, how many words it is, but it's one of the longest written books in the English language, it's kind of like a, like a trilogy of one kind of thing, um, and in that he mentions about like people in the afterlife um, taking the time to read M.R. James books, because they have the time, they get a better understanding of being a ghost. And of literature, which is just—I mean, it's a fl- it's a line. Like, like, like Alan Moore books are so intricately made and created. His way of thinking is so interesting that you know we flipping off the cuff sort of lines and trajectories and tangents and sentences will come off of something. You go, shit, yeah, that's that's true. M.R. James um, was probably. It's quite funny to talk about literature as well because I I, I struggle to read. In, a, in an attention span way, uh, the way a lot of people do. I don't have dyslexia, but I would say maybe a wee touch of the old uh, ADD. So, uh, I don't know if it's ADD or just the kind of our age, our attention span's just kind of fucked. I mean, our digital age and the fact that I'm in my late 30s. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I like to listen to a lot of audiobooks, and Alan Moore's Jerusalem was kind of a... There were so many wee coincidences and things in it that I kind of felt like... It chalked the road for me. It introduced me to things like um, the concept of chaos magic, which I don't really like. Um, we'll talk about that in, in depth, but I find the chaos magic's kind of like it's kind of groove metal um, or um, har- uh, torture porn. It's you know kind of <laughs> there's certain terms that I'm just not really cool with. Um, I think chaos magic sounds a bit a bit too rock and roll and it makes it sound kind of silly it's a bit heavy metal in a sense um but it introduced me to the concept of that and there's also a mention of um the klf who were a british dance group uh, led by bill drummond and jimmy Cotty, and they notoriously burned a million pound on the island of jura and they it's mentioned in the book that uh, drummond went to art college i think he's about the same age as alan Moore, so he's about the same age as my mum born in the early 50s um and he uh they were sort of, I don't know if they were acquainted, but he they knew of, of Alan knowing about sort of literature and magic and kind of performance art. And they went to him with this video they'd made of, you know, burning the million quid. And, you know, Alan Moore described it as magic. And um, in this, 
a book I read off the back of this, a John Higgs book about the KLF. Um, it sort of paints Drummond as very uh, a very prosaic person, very you know uh, work ethic, very sort of you know sober minded, very uh, logical. And Alan Moore is being quite an sort of esoteric thinker, you know, quite outside the box thinker. But the fact that they'd done something that that Alan Moore and Drummond couldn't really deny was almost like a magical. There was something magical, what magical about what they did? It was a ritual. It was a fire ritual. It was a you know a sacrifice of sorts. So um, if you, you that story in itself is interesting. So uh, the writer John Higgs wrote a book about that, and I um, I was really interested in it. Um, I just thought it was an interesting book because it's I heard it, again the term chaos magic, and I heard about the KLF. So and I looked it up, and it came up this book, the KLF Chaos Magic, Chaos Comma Magic, and the band who burned a million quid. So it was the story of the KLF, but in a kind of it also tied a lot of things together for me, such as uh, Discordianism, Chaos Magic, uh, stuff like Robert Anton Wilson and that Illuminatus book, how it influenced people like Ken Campbell, who was an influence on Bill Drummond, sort of connections between Discordianism and the Marx Brothers. Brothers and Doctor Who and you know the number 23 the 23 enigma which um, as soon as someone points that out to you me and my friend I've just lately been <laughs> 23 you go through these wee times we can't not notice it the uh, Bader Meinhof kind of thing so um, and again it always kind of painted uh, Drummond as being uh, I mean I don't, I don't when I spoke to Bill Drummond myself I'll get to that later but he wasn't keen on me mentioning the book. You know, it was probably it probably you anyone would feel awkward someone writing about uh, uh, you know your career and a major thing that you did, um, kind of without your go ahead. So he wasn't really keen whenever I mentioned the book. But the book actually painted him in a really interesting way. As in, he's a hard man to read. Um, uh, most people will say this, and John Higgs had sort of said that you can look at life in two ways. And it's hard to tell what way Drummond looks at it, and the KLF were looking at things. Were they looking at things in a purely prosaic bricks and mortar kind of way? There's no such thing as magic. This is all just a funny coincidence, you know. Uh, kind of, we laugh through your nose. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? And that's a funny coincidence. Or were they aware of the kind of the magical uh, implementations? And uh, and this Higgs kind of puts toward puts forward a kind of really good theory for a kind of postmodern magical thinking. So I, I don't like the term magic because a lot of people in my generation, when they hear magic, they think of those fucking kits you used to get at Christmas with, you know, the fucking Paul Daniels magic kit and, you know, someone cutting a fucking uh, woman in, in sparkly tights, cutting her in half, you know. Um, I was always like, well, you could, I wonder what happened if you got, like, if you did that to two magicians' assistants. Could you like put the two ends to cut? Oh no, here right. We'll start. Anyway, right, um, I digress. So, so the the, uh, the KLF book was very interesting and tied into a lot of the things that I'd sort of started the. There was a lot. There's a lot in the the Alan Moore Jerusalem book, but there was a lot that I'd basically learned. Basically, set me on a kind of like say set me on this path of um, magical thinking, as you call it. Um, just thinking in a, in a kind of more uh, a less prosaic way and a bit more of like um, you know think of like the universe as kind of like uh, wanting things to happen because then whenever if the universe and God and the angels and your muse or your demon or whatever makes something happen whatever that is is going to get me more powerful from you from you giving it credit for helping you you know um, people always say prayed you know prayed's leaving God or whatever out of out of your you know your achievements, so uh, 
I think it's more it's interesting in life to kind of think about things in a kind of more magical, spooky, mystical way because uh, as someone who suffers with depression and people talk about grey days, you know, um, days do seem very grey when your emotions are low. Um, so colour and excitement and a bit of... I get excited when someone tells me a ghost story or... Um, someone told me a few things recently about uh, basically witchcraft um, in, in, in a local, you know, in a kind of like a local Northern Ireland town. Like, and I was just like, what? That sort of stuff gets my, gets my uh, goosebumps, gets my, my, you know, my spine goes all tangly. You know, people talk about, you know, maybe it's, I don't know if it's a mental health thing, but I do crave that kind of excitement. Um, I do crave the, the, the bright lights, the neon colours. If you've seen my art, you hear the way I speak, you hear the things I'm into. Things have to be exciting. Life's too, life's too short for it to be grey and drab, you know. So, that's where I would, if you would hear me sort of going on, as I'll say, about magical thinking, and I'll mention synchronicities, and I will mention KLF and um, Alan Moore quite a lot. Is that a dog? I hear a dog. There he goes, wee dog barking for you. Um, so they'll come up quite a lot, but um, yeah. I think as far as book recommendations go, we definitely say get John Higgs' KLF book and Alan Moore's Jerusalem. If you're looking something, um, which is going to tie more into me explaining the podcast to you already, is, um, well, I want this to be just basically a series of monologues. Uh, it helps me just to kind of hash my thoughts out. And um, I think sometimes I kind of go, God, this would be an interesting sort of train of thought to introduce to somebody you know uh, so what I kind of like to do what I'm going to do with this is maybe spend the time that you would spend maybe if you get an hour to yourself you know to sit and listen to a podcast or whatever you can stick this on and I'll be here to sort of just chat like um, kind of like uh, th- imagine like you're Matt Damon and I'm Ben Affleck and like you're like writing Goodwill Hunting and I'm just sitting on your sofa just kind of just getting baked and eating pizza um you know kind of like a muse like 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 if bob ross was kind of like your kind of mate yeah if bob ross was like your mate who keeps getting thrown out of the house and has to sleep on your sofa so imagine that like someone you kind of like but you don't really want to interact with too much so we'll be here in the background and we'll talk and i'll have a few ideas and Hopefully it'll be like sort of just having a, you know, a co-pilot while you paint. Um, I find it very good to have audiobooks, uh, podcasts, or I'll just sometimes listen to even that ambient music. Because I think, you know, people talk about intrusive thoughts. Sometimes say music can be quite intrusive, you know. Um, music nearly makes, you can't sometimes if a song comes on, you can't, you can't not sit down, you know. You want to dance, you know. You want to sing along. So sometimes I listen to, as I say, ambient music, which is which creates more of a mood, um, or even like a kind of like a like a slightly boring, wordy kind of M R James era, you know, kind of uh, spooky ghost story, which is kind of mildly spooky, but just kind of sounds nice uh, to create an atmosphere. Or as a Bob Ross, I used to have Bob Ross on in the background because. I don't watch much TV, I don't watch much stuff, like, I've a lot of, spend a lot of time on my phone, obviously, you have to these days, if you're trying to fucking do any sort of brand-based business, aren't you, like, um, hate to say it, but, you know, that's what it is, uh, but, uh, yeah, I kind of like to listen to things, and the audiobook, and the fact I don't really read much, plays really into what my friend Neil would have called, uh, says as if he's dead. I just haven't seen him in ages. Um, <laughs> what he would call the Mount, the Count of Monte Cristo. He says like the idea. So if you're incarcerated, or if you're um, 
not a, you know an ideal place in life try your best to at least work you know to educate yourself um I mean, a weird analogy we kind of would imagine was a lot of the time during the Troubles in Northern Ireland, there was a lot of boys who were locked up um, for being bad boys. Like here, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to talk about our local heroes and say I support any of them, you know what I mean? Crimes, you know, bad boys are bad boys. But some of the boys went into jail and did the usual pumping iron and hanging out and forming gangs. But there were some of the boys who went in who hadn't had the opportunities before and were entitled to use libraries and go to wee classes and stuff. And... Um, I think my mate he pointed this out as this is kind of like in a way it was the Count of Monte Cristo idea of like make the most of a make the best of a bad situation so I had worked a long time in uh, admin and it's not a terrible job but it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do it wasn't you know what we jarred you know sitting in his bedroom as a kid dreamt that I would do I didn't think it was going to be like an, an artist you know three months into an art career scraping by but but I didn't think sitting in an office was for me. I think I wanted to be a fireman originally because that was kind of like a Ghostbusters kind of thing. It was kind of like you were a Ghostbuster, sort of. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of... Um, when lockdown happened, I had to do a lot of thinking about what I was going to do. And it's weird. Sometimes when you do take a step back and you know, we weren't able to go out, we weren't able to do anything, a lot of people got into painting, a lot of people maybe took stock of their mental health, and I think I did a lot of that, I kind of just went, I did my Count of Monte Cristo thing of, I would have done a lot of like digital art, or doodled a lot, you know, but and painted, and developed a style where I could paint quite quickly, or chip away at a painting, and then come back to it, um, because of maybe just painting in the evening, just, you know, coming home and fucking having a smoke, and fucking painting, you know, as instead of say playing the xbox or the pc or whatever which i used to do but i started to feel guilty that i was kind of just sitting not really doing anything and um so i've got an episode i want to do um i mean i probably could if, if, if i paused i could probably just collect my thoughts and i could talk about the um comparing the grind of say computer games and say like rpgs like skyrim bethesda style kind of things like skyrim or fallout um, those kind of uh, free roaming sandbox games to the grind of art um, like a recently you know yeah a guy called uh, Damien Ackles ACHOLS and he's you know very very well versed in magic and um, the occult and mysticism and all whatever you want to call it some people don't like some of those terms but uh, he was comparing the 12 uh stages of the tarot the, uh, the, sorry, the 22 stages of the tarot 21 22 of the major arcana to the path of the initiate and this is you know probably in magical circles this is quite a well-known thing but this was mind-blowing to me yet another synchronicity because it was, was around the time i was starting to learn about tarot uh so it was it was really interesting um to sort of then go well i could sort of compare the path of an artist to someone who you know, like a lot of my peers, you know, would have just sat and been happy playing the Xbox or whatever, or the PlayStation, or wherever it is, um, and enjoying that escapism. But I felt like there was no real byproduct of playing a game. There was no, um, I felt like kind of like wasted time, wasted energy, wasted mental power. Uh, so, but I did. I played Skyrim for like 300 hours, I think it's 299 hours it's sitting on. Um, and I loved it, it was a really good game for escapism, but it was around a time where I was just, um, yeah, just basically, that's what I did, I come in, and if it wasn't doing digital art, I was playing Skyrim, but then I was doing more and more Skyrim, but I started to realise there was this, uh, total analogy, like, it just fits, uh, 
I think it was the day, like when people say like, how do you, how do you get, oh, how do you learn how to do art? I don't really think it's like a matter of learning. You know, obviously it, it, art's very instinctual. School's very good uh, in some ways and very bad in a lot of ways. But um, I remember they were playing the, the Skyrim game. And if you remember, there was, you were in the main wee town called Weight Run. So Skyrim, if you don't know, Skyrim was a game, um, like a Viking, sort of like a Game of Thrones, sort of Vikings versus Dragons kind of role-playing game. It came out about 10, 12 years ago. And it was very escapist. You could almost like live in it. You could be like a video game tourist. You could just walk around and you could build your character. You, know, you could be a man or a woman or a lizard or a cat, and you, you know, cat man. And you could walk around and you could... Uh, just be who you wanted to be, and almost like kind of like, say say like something like one of those second life or those chat room kind of things. But it was almost, you know, you were a character in like a Game of Thrones sort of world. Um, everyone sort of played some sort of Skyrim, or there was Fallout, which was you know you were like a character who walked around in this nuclear wasteland that was pretty cool. But they had this kind of similar thing of maybe you would have started in a small town um, and had limited resources, uh, limited uh, weapons limited defences, limited charisma. There's just certain things that the, the parallel really well with feeling like you're sort of stuck in a dead end as someone who's who is creative. Um you think of the lockdown, like you imagine it's like it's like it's like uh you know in Skyrim they're like, oh no, the dragons are attacking. There's a major crisis that's affecting us all that we've to be aware of. So everyone's tense, you know? Um everyone's kinda just going on instinct, everyone's scared. So there was a lot of analogies I could make to these kind of role-playing games where I remember one time in the town of Whiterun, which was just your, your sort of starter village where you, I think you eventually become the king of the Jarl of Whiterun. Um, I'm not a big gamer, so I'm going to try and keep this as simple as possible. But in order to become a good swordsmith, what do you call a swordsmith? Smith? A smith? Yeah, like, so you would level up your, your smithing skills. And I remember sitting one day, like, I think, I don't even really know what I was doing, but it was like autopilot, you know, like when you used to watch your, your granny or your auntie knitting, and I would just hit a button, and he would turn a bit of iron into a, a dagger, and then you, every dagger you did added up, and then eventually you were able to make a really good sword, and then you could make swords, and then eventually you were like, you know, you, you were like a good, you know, you'd leveled up. So I think leveled up's like one of those terms that's really in the lexicon now, you know, um people who've grown up in this kind of age this kind of you know post-internet age you know computer game lingo are and leveled up is a really good one it, it feels like right so now i can get a better weapon a better suit of armor a better horse a better boots or whatever um and now i can go to the next town and it sort of feels a bit like that like a few of my mates have been like god doing doing an exhibition that's leveling up you know um doing a, a residency that's leveling up and Maybe you don't notice it at the time, because you'll hear terms like the grind. You know, people talk about the grind in a kind of derogatory way about their job. Um, the daily grind, which I don't know if, if I agree with that term. I would say the grind, to me, is has to be something like, it has to be ground into something. You know, uh, not ground down into dust, but ground into something, shaped into something. So to me, like, the grind would be like the same computer game, you know, where you would just maybe fight enemies or just wolves or something, you know, just go out or just hit chickens with arrows till your fucking arrow shooting skill gets better or whatever, you know. Um, or you, you just hit a rock with a hammer until it goes, you are better at using hammers. You know, some sort of, you know, that level up thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that term of grind really applies, applies when it comes to, it comes to art 
um, creating. Just in, in general, um, the more you do something, the more you practice it, the more you'll know what works. You know, for every shit painting, uh, every, a shit painting is nearly as much value as a good painting because a shit painting tells you, right, don't go that way. You know, there's a reason you feel in your heart that it's shit, um, even if people tell you other ways. And if you really, really, really feel in your heart that a painting's shit, unless someone buys it and takes it out of your, out of your, I say it, you'll probably paint over it and that's fine that's your prerogative but you'll have learned something even in painting a shit painting um, I always hang on the thing of uh, Francis Bacon when he was about 30 he burnt all his previous artwork so um, there can be a point where you can just go no I'm starting again um, canvases aren't expensive you know you can work on them I have canvases that are maybe 10-15 years old that have been worked on reworked put away reworked taken out you know um, even stuff that I painted last year that I put up in the exhibition I kind of thought to myself um, God, I could better in the past 12 months and I can really see stuff but you know, I don't want to be going back leaning back into into bad habits but you do notice that you don't notice at the time when you're doing the grind when you're in the grind when you're doing you know, your painting say what did I paint like 30 pictures 30 or 40 pictures probably more um, and it feels like you're not getting anywhere but then if I see you know, you look back it's like the old uh I don't. You shouldn't really look back, but you sort of not supposed to look back. But you take stock of what you have, and you can see progress. You can see it. Like it's 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 a thing. You know, it's like if you people say if you're losing weight or if you're becoming you know a, a muscle builder, like a bodybuilder, take a photo every day. You know. So in a way, I was kind of taking a painting a picture of my mindset for the past year and sort of capturing what my skill looks like in physical form with paint. So that's the grind that's the leveling up so people might look at me and go jesus you know like sometimes you go on an online game and you go like i do it and you see those people online who have like thousands of followers or like are just pure beasts and just churning out great artwork and you go fuck me i'm never gonna get there man but then there's people here who've just started out and they're looking at me going man you've really really worked at this and i go god i feel like i'm i'm like low level i feel like you know if, if it's level not the 100 in a computer game like I am, I've leveled up, I'm a few levels above the beginner, but we're all on the same journey, I'm just a, maybe a wee bit further down the road, um, maybe just because I just, you know, in a way a lot of disadvantages where I didn't start art early, whereas a lot of younger people do now, and um, there's a lot of better resources for mental health too, um, whereas I had problems for years with my mental health, with uh, drink and uh, drugs and stuff, you know, not really... So I didn't actually know what the term self-medicating meant until a few years ago, you know. So I didn't even realise that my painting, let alone my bad habits, but my painting was a way to self-medicate. And I do feel, even in the past two weeks there, where I was busy with an exhibition and stuff like that, uh, wedding and all, I felt really weird not painting. It was like a byproduct of my existence. So that's what I kind of feel. Like with a computer game, you could you can play and play and play and you can unlock the golden machine gun or whatever or the golden sword of fucking Skyrim or Ryan or whatever the fuck happens. I can't remember. What did you do in Skyrim? Why did you complete it? You killed all the dragons or something? I don't know. But um, I kind of felt at the end, well, there was a byproduct of this. Um, I think it's Alan Moore actually says that there's trees, like a byproduct of time. You know, the trees kind of like there's some four-dimensional it's like it's a kind of like like a four-dimensional snail trail um and i think that's kind of what i like to do i like to leave a trail leave it leave a kind of mark on the world um 
of these paintings are starting to go to people's homes, starting to go into people's hearts and into people's minds. So uh, to do that already is really interesting. To take something that didn't exist, make it, distill it onto a canvas or a board. For someone to for to speak to someone, not verbally, but visually, for someone to kind of read it in a way that maybe even I didn't intend and go, God, that's nice, that says something to me. And they take it home. And now that kind of, that's like a wee bit of magic has moved there, you know. That feels a bit more special than than unlocking, I don't know, some sort of some sort of metal on Call of Duty or something. You know what I mean? It kind of feels like something tangible, like real literal magic in, in a world where we take for granted um, what we can do, our capabilities, you know. Like, I personally don't really like um, superheroes. I feel like superheroes make normal people seem like we're second-class citizens on our own planet. I don't, you know, um, the TV series The Boys. I don't. I, I agree with that. I don't, I don't like superheroes. I feel like superheroes, if they wanted, we just we don't need us. Like, imagine being a cop in Superman's town. You know, what's fucking Superman does everything? It's all right. Or, like, an army man. Nah, we're just starting here at the cordon. You know? But anyway. So, uh, yes... Where was I? Well, I've been chatting. We've done about half an hour. That's pretty good. Um, I'm going to see how the sound quality sounds. And I'll come back in a wee moment. This is the point where whenever I get rich and famous, where the uh, the, the advertisers come in. But uh, for now, this is my rum. A rum break. I poured myself a Flor de Caña rum, which I got for cheap last night in Tesco. And um, a wee bit of water in it. Let me taste it now. So, uh, <clears throat> some time has elapsed. I've had a rum, I've had a beer. Um, I listened back to some of the stuff there, and I was I was listening to some of the stuff I was saying, and one of the things that, that struck me was, um, uh, if you remember the uh, band Sepultura, the Brazilian heavy metal band, um, they had a song called Roots, Bloody Roots, which... It's not even my favorite Sepultura song, but it was it was pretty cool. The video had 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 a, had a um, quote at the start. Back when I used to like that, sometimes you would get a heavy metal video when like the director would stick like a quote or like you get a horror movie, and there'd be like a like was it if the, it was one of the Freddy Krueger movies has a quote from Edgar Allan Poe and it's tasty like. Um, but the start of Roots, really Roots. It says suffering, suffering should be creative and should give birth to something good and lovely. And um, sort of listen back to what I was saying there. It's, it does. It resonates a lot that I've um, like. Oh, I'm not trying to say like uh, get the felons out, but uh, having suffered suffered with mental health, and um, a lot of us have, you know, we've sort of suffered a lot of shit over time. You know, just like um, the grind. A lot of us have suffered. Uh, you know, this past lockdown. You know, it's it's just been hard on everybody. So. Uh, even the name sounds ominous. Lockdown. It sounds like a Judge Dredd movie. It's fucking weird. Um, but yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> so I was wondering why my voice was weird. I realised that I still had my um, monitor headphones on. And it sounded like it was underwater. So, um, yeah. I've had a rum and a beer. And it's Saturday night. And... Um, yeah. I'm really enjoying doing the podcast again. It, it's nice to have this kind of um, outlet. Um, the joke originally was that when I first did a podcast was that um, my I, I, I was, 
if you know me every time and say I could talk about legs off a donkey, um, <laughs> uh, you know this. I do. I like the chat, and I kind of there was a part of me. Uh, there was a guy who I, I very fond of, who I'm always always would speak highly of him. He was he's one of the few people I uh, you know. Do you like a teacher you were really fond of? It's a guy called Malachi Coney. Malachi and he uh, he was he was a comic book writer, and he works in what used to be Talisman uh, for Bitman Planet. And he was a really nice guy to me. He was always really, really sound to me. Um, he kind of had that kind of like, he was, you know, people say like, the others, like one of us. He was kind of one of us, you know. And he says to me, George, don't hide your light under a bushel. And I always thought that's a weird saying, but he was always really encouraging in my art and stuff. And, you know, let your light shine. And so I obviously suffer with my confidence, with my mental health, um, depression, anxiety, social anxiety, things like that. I um, would be embarrassed because I do talk a lot, um, but at the same time, what do you want from a podcast, do you know what I mean? So maybe that's, in a way, it's kind of almost something that's, you know, someone's, someone had said to me earlier, sorry, I'm a bit muddled because I was messaging back and forward, but someone had said to me earlier, that's kind of your skill, there's a lot of artists who can paint, but you can... <laughs> Showing my face is one thing, Christ and I, Jesus. If you've seen the video earlier posted on Instagram, a fucking big fucking grot bag, tea bag eyes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do like to talk because I was sort of brought up around in Belfast. Belfast people are chatty, the Irish are chatty in and off ourselves. I was brought up around like a lot of women, a lot of sort of you know, working class women. Um, what was funny was when we were growing up, there was always girls who used to call them Millies. Um, I didn't. I never realised like a, I always thought like a Millie was just a term like like a girl who was a bit of a chav. But a Millie was um, people who worked in the flax mills. Um, there would have been girls who worked in there, and that would have been a, you know pretty sort of decent wee job for them. I mean, girls would have got their heads down and just got the fucking job done. But it was a very loud place, and if you think of the Belfast accent, which has that kind of you know, we'll probably do this as an episode further down the line. Uh, the talk of mid Ulster English. Um, we'll talk about accents because I do get a lot of stick about my accent because I, I'm from Belfast and I tone my accent down. So uh, yeah, the Millies used to talk like the the joke is Millies they go and they do the talk and and the, the, there's a cadence of sort of like a smack chav kind of milly which again the smack spade chav thing is something I want to talk about uh, another day but um I never realised that for years I think someone says to me do you ever notice like millies they sound like they're deaf and I say holy shit man uh, if you were to go into a flax mill, it was a very loud place, so it was girls from, you know, who weren't exactly literate, or, um, you know, they weren't exactly, uh, probably great singers, <laughs> shouting to each other, there was a sense of that, wah, 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 the voice was distorted to the point where it had a kind of a real, uh, guttural, distorted guttural effect, um, so, uh, yeah, that's something I actually wouldn't mind chatting about. I think it would be uh, accents and um, there was actually uh, who was it? Was a Ben? He messaged me and he says, "I'm looking forward to your podcast, but for God's sake, talk a bit slower." <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've a load of ideas. I've a load and load of ideas. Um, growing up in Belfast, you talk to anybody from Belfast. We are we are natural storytellers. We're naturally chatty. Um, 
anyone has a story to tell and to go back to Alan Moore's Jerusalem uh, named for the William Blake Jerusalem which we'll also get into I'm a big fan of William Blake which also ties back to John Higgs um, you speak to anyone you speak to anyone uh, if you're the sort of person who likes to chat to your, your older relatives or maybe your older neighbours um, my older neighbour kind of annoys me he doesn't really talk I've lived next door to him for three years and he's 80 and all he does is talk about the weather and the lawn and the bins he's like so dull and I'm like Jesus Christ man you're like you're like twice my age. Like you should have twice as much to talk about. <laughs> so, someone says I think it's Alan Moore says in, in relation to Jerusalem, uh, which is relating to Northampton, where he's from. That if you talk to enough people, you'll get like say maybe three stories out of everybody. Most people's families will have three, two or three cool stories. Uh, interest in uh, tidbits, trivia, connections, especially people from Belfast. There's a lot of stories in regards to the Troubles, in regards to Irish history, in regards to politics. Uh, I went to the same school as Jerry Adams, which it did. Um, so it was a shit school. So I actually just did that thing. We just say something and then you sort of like mutter into your paint glass as you finish your paint. So, um, where was I? Yes. So, <laughs> I did that thing and I actually totally lost my train of thought. But, um, so if you were to talk to most people, uh, most people's families, um, say even at a wedding or at a funeral or just even a family get together, there's enough history starts to kind of, um, form like 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 a web like a spider forming a web where um you know you can imagine the uh csi the csi agents and they always have you know the, the big map and they have to put the pins in the map and they tie the strings so you think your hometown and you think of let me see right? so think your relatives and then think of a few interesting stories about your relatives and then think of who those stories you know who you could kind of maybe ask to uh, embellish them stories and then you know what stories they have and what their views are you know the um, is it Onibaba is that the movie about the uh, the assault but it's told from three different angles it's a, Jap- a famous Japanese story and I kind of think so if you're talking about a family having three different stories and every story having three different angles there's a lot about where you're from to draw inspiration from to draw um, ideas from so, um, don't be afraid to kind of, like, ask people for inspiration as well. Uh, one thing I've noticed lately is, if you say to people you're interested in f- folklore and ghost stories, they generally are like, oh, here, the letter the just going to shut down and tell you, I don't know anything about that, or they'll at least point you in the right direction. Um, let me see. Oh, I have a good episode, a good idea for a good episode, um, coming up. I don't know what I should say or I should write it down. I can't reach it. I've got a bit of paper with a bit of pen. I'm going actually going to pause the thing and write it down. In conclusion. <laughs> well, some time has elapsed. Uh, yeah, it was about three days ago I recorded that last bit. And I was like, I'll get back to this. But that's kind of being apparent. Um, and trying to do the whole art, juggling that, working at home. I can't even remember what where I was going. But I wrote some, I wrote some cool notes down. So we've got loads of notes. And... Um, I think we'll I'll, hap, I'll be happy enough if we just we'll wrap up this episode. We'll call this sort of an episode sort of point zero, uh, an episode zero. 
sort of prototype episode so I've, I've covered a load of things that I'm kind of interested in that I could go into in bigger detail um, I hope you've enjoyed it um, it's been a while but while I was doing it I've been listening to the other podcasts that I like I try not to listen if I'm doing something I try not to kind of take too much influence but I was listening to the guy uh, Blind Boy uh, from the Rubber Bandits He's, he does a really good podcast and the idea with the Patreon kind of came from him as well he's a very smart kind of dude and I kind of thought well it seems that his model works for him but he mentioned a lot about how he, um, uh, sort of the landscape of podcasting has changed and I listened back to some of my old podcasts from sort of geez, six years ago God, six or so years ago and some of the content was actually really quite good it was just really for me and my friends but the quality and the sort of research and the effort I put in I think was quite good so if you want I will uh, I'll stick, start sticking those up as like many episodes because I think putting the whole episodes up you know there's some people who God, I don't think I've even talked to in six years on them um, there's some stuff didn't really work um but I would happily do that there. I'd happily chop those up and take some wee segments and just put them up or maybe add them into future episodes if they're relevant. Because there's a lot that I think I've done 20 odd episodes. So uh, probably that'd be cool. So we covered uh, loads of things. Synchronicity, uh, ghosts, chaos, magic, uh, magical thinking, the grain. Loads of things. We covered loads of stuff. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Um, and any, any feedback, any notes, it's great because I want this to be kind of... Generate it in such a way that you guys can kind of um, say more of this, less of this. And we'll make basically a user generated podcast, which was the joke that I used to make six years ago, way back when I was doing my ahead of my time podcast. So, um, thank you very much, guys, for listening. This is George Torbert signing out, Mouth of the Far Side, episode zero, back to the fucking beginning, reboot, prequel, remake, prequel, sequel, fucking uh, yeah, just get Frank Miller to take over. So, yes. See you later. I love you. Thanks for listening. Um, stay happy and stay beautiful, as my friend Brian would say. That was a really annoyingly long. Cheerio. I've really got to figure out a concise one, right? I don't know. Can't think. Of one. Like, oh, you put me on the spot. You put me. In, I don't know. Um. <laughs> oh, fuck. Bye.